Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well-being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Well, hello, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Tai, and we are on episode 59 today, which is so exciting. One away from episode 60, that's a big deal. So, wow, lots going on around here. (laughs) Um, If you guys are followers of any of my social media, you've probably been seeing some of the farm craziness that we have going on here, so I won't get too much into the weeds on that, um, because I know you guys are tuning in to listen to keto stuff, but you know how, you know, when you've got something like this going on in your life, it's new, it's exciting, um, you know, it's all of those things. And so you're really focused on that stuff. And that's the kind of, you know, when you've got something new and exciting like that, that's kind of what gets you charged up and excited and, and you want to talk about it and share about it and all that. And I'm no different. So, um, we have been, or I should say, I have been excitedly waiting, um, awaiting filling up our barn at our property. We bought uh, this farm and our cabin uh, last December, this past December. So I've been anxiously awaiting filling it up, but trying to do everything the right way and take our time. And um, the barn, when we purchased it, uh, when we purchased the property, the barn did not have water or electric run to it. And if any of you guys out there, um, have a farm, have ever been on a farm, have raised animals, know anybody that raises animals, all that stuff, you can do it without water and electric at a barn. Um, you, some properties have wells. Um, you, if the house is close enough, you can just uh, carry water from the house. Um, you can run a hose from the house. There, you know, there's different ways that you can do it. But the way our property is set up, the cabin sits at the back part of the property, and the barn sits kind of over um, a pretty good distance from the cabin. I mean, you can't. Um, it would be very, very difficult to run a hose from there. And I don't know how many feet it is. I'm going to guess it's probably like 2,000 feet from the 1,500 to 2,000 feet from the cabin is the barn. So um, it would be quite a ways. So anyway, um, so I did not want to put animals out there. I have definitely taking care of animals, um, horses specifically when there is no water or electric at a barn. And it is a lot of work. Um, just really difficult, especially in the winters that we get here in the Cincinnati area. Um, it's just miserable if you are trying to tote water several times a day because water freezes and, and you have to, um, you know, go get fresh water all the time. And then if you don't have electric, you can't have heated water buckets. And so the water is just constantly freezing and it just gets to be quite a nightmare. Now we do have a natural spring on the property. So we have a really nice, um, spring fed well that is out in the pastures, uh, the main pasture area, but we do not, we just took down all the fencing and we're going to redo that in the spring. So currently we only have fencing on kind of the back side, um, and the side of the barn. So we've got just probably about an acre, maybe a little more than an acre that's currently fenced. So, um, we are just sticking to the smaller animals for right now, um, bringing my horse home in the spring, hopefully when we get the new, the nice fencing out and can do all that. But, um, we brought home a new member of our family this past week, uh, weekend, and it was completely not planned. We, um, found out about this little guy and just were so excited to go out and see him. And, um, we had been, my, my daughters really wanted a pony 
And so we were talking about getting them a pony and thinking, well, you know, we definitely have enough acreage. We've got very good, um, very good grass and pasture areas. So we thought we definitely have enough acreage. We could bring a pony home and, um, you know, if the right one came along, maybe we would do that. And we ended up finding out about this little mini mule. So it's basically a, a pony sized mule. He's, um, really small and just super cute. I've never had a mule before. I've heard they're very smart, very good temperaments. Um, I've known people with them, but, um, and had never even given any thought to a mini mule or even, I mean, I guess if I thought about it, I knew they existed, but had never seen one or heard of one. And so we went out and took a look at this guy and he is just so sweet and um, just a great little guy. So we went ahead and picked him up uh, over the weekend. He was delivered on Sunday. And um, my daughter has named him Brownie. <laughs> so, um, and the name fits him. He is a super cute, super sweet guy. And she is just loving it. So um, pretty excited to have him at the farm now. So we've uh, turned him out with the goats and sheep. And I'll tell you what, he actually is kind of mean to them. And I'm so I've had to separate them um, the last couple of days. I've, I've just got them in adjoining paddocks. So I'm going to, you know, just kind of see how it goes. And um, hopefully he warms up to them. I'm not so sure that he's ever been exposed to those little animals before. And, you know, it's not uncommon, I've heard, for mules and donkeys specifically to be very intimidated by uh, goats and sheep. And so they will kind of mount an attack um, as like a defense mechanism before the little things can get them. So uh, it's been kind of interesting to watch, but um, so we're hoping that they kind of come around and become friends. And then our final animal that we are adding to our farm, we are actually getting tomorrow morning and I cannot wait. I'm so excited. She is a mini cow and she is about two weeks old. And so she has to be bottle fed. And so we are going to pick her up tomorrow morning and I'm sure you will hear much more about her in the future and see pictures on my Instagram and whatnot. Um, More of that type of stuff I will be putting on. I recently, started another Instagram page so that I can keep kind of the two worlds a little bit separate. Um, and that is, uh, the, my Instagram page for that is branch Hill farm. So it's at that, or I'm sorry, at branch Hill farm. It's B R A N C H H I L L F A R M. So if you are interested in following that and you want to see kind of more of that uh, side of our life and our little farm, you are welcome to follow me on Instagram for that page. And that's where I'll be posting most of like our little animal shenanigans and what we have going on at the farm on a daily basis. So we do not live at the farm, but we go over there every morning and every evening. And then we spend most weekends there. So uh, our cabin, like I said, is located there, our our vacation rental cabin. And um, it is rented out most of the time. (laughs) So, um, but whenever it's not, we block it and we go and we'll try to spend weekends out there. Or um, a lot of times people check out on Sunday mornings and then we will go and spend um, all day Sunday out there and do Sunday dinners and stuff like that. So um, we just love being out there so much. And we would totally move out there, except it's in a different school district than what our kids are in. And since we have two high schoolers, they would just absolutely, it would be, you know, life crushing for them if we move them out of their high school environment and they're away from their friends. So I understand that. I get that. So we're trying to be, um, trying to be sensitive to that. Uh, but we will see what the future holds. <laughs> um, I think the junior and maybe the freshmen are, are safe, uh, staying in their current school, but, um, but we are considering a move for the other little ones. And so we'll see how that kind of goes, but, um, it's just so nice to get the kids back to the simpler things and the kind of the farm life. And, and, you know, it all feeds into the whole lifestyle that we believe in. It's not just about nutrition, but it's and it's an entire lifestyle. It's an activities for your everyday. It's um, kind of getting back to some of the simpler things and and just you know trying to get back to our roots and uh, living life the way you know we were intended to and 
and just, you know, getting the kids outside and exposing them to those things. So our little uh, cow, I will go pick her up in the morning. Um, she is small enough. She weighs about 30 pounds that she will just go into a large dog crate to be brought home. Um, so her name is Daisy May. So a uh, little Daisy May. So Daisy comes home in the morning um, and I will be bottle feeding her. She has to have a bottle um, every morning and every night. And uh, we'll let you know how it goes. So she is a cross breed um, of small cows. So what they do, she's a seventh generation. So um, this particular breeder, um, these cows are a Dexter, which um, if you know anything about cattle or if you don't, you want to look it up, whatever. But there's um, Dexter cows are, are beef cows and they're small, uh, kind of smaller cow, beef cattle. So a lot of times people will raise those on when they have smaller acreage. And then when you slaughter a Dexter cow, you don't have as much meat that you have to store and process and all of that. So, um, so they're very popular, uh, smaller beef cattle. So she is a Dexter, a mini Longhorn. So, um, most people know Texas Longhorns. There's a miniature, uh, version of those. And so that is also part. And then the third part is a zebu. So zebus are very friendly, um, sweet cows and they are on the smaller side as well. And they have that telltale kind of hump on their, um, right behind their neck. Um, so kind of in their shoulder area. So they're pretty recognizable by that. And so that is what she is. So she's a cross of a zebu, a mini Texas Longhorn and a Dexter cow. So she will get somewhere between probably 150 and 200 pounds. So she won't be much different in size than our Great Pyrenees, which will be interesting um, when they're both full grown. So we'll see how, we'll see who gets bigger. Um, I think she's going to get bigger, but and since she's the seventh generation, we don't really know if she will get, um, you know, how close to her mom's size she's actually going to get or if she'll um, stay quite a bit smaller as they typically, um, you know, kind of get smaller and smaller as you breed, um, continue to breed them. So anyway, so that's her and I will get some pictures out there of her tomorrow. Um, she's just really super cute little girl. And then, so that's pretty much what's going on in our personal life. Um, pretty just uh, really focused on the barn right now, getting things ready. Um, like I said, we just have the water and electric run out there. So you're filling all that in and planting grass seed. And we've been putting out, you know, um, making sure the, the fences are up and the pastures are going. And yesterday I went and uh, picked up 27 bales of hay and threw those up in my loft. Um, that was quite a great workout. Um, and did that. So that is, we, like I said, we have plenty of pasture, so I don't really need, I don't feed hay now. And I just want to make sure I have plenty for the winter, the real winter months, like December, January, February, um, probably have to supplement with some hay. So don't need much because we don't have many animals out there right now or, or large ones that would eat a lot. So that's kind of what we've got going on in our lives, doing lots of traveling still, um, speaking all over the country. And then we have recently been invited to go to two locations outside of the country. So I am um, firming up those details um, with the people that invited us to come out and speak, um, myself and my husband. And so once I get those details, I will be sure to get those out to you guys and let you know. So if you're in the area, you can um, come meet up with us. We would love to see you there. So today's episode, I am going to answer some more listener questions. So I originally had intended to put out a podcast, or I'm sorry, an interview that I had recorded um, a couple of weeks ago, and it's a great interview, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it, but I decided to put that off one more week, um, two reasons. <laughs> Number one, I've got Miss Daisy's coming tomorrow, and uh, I know that I'm going to be very busy with her over the next uh, week or two, I'm sure, kind of getting into a routine and whatnot, so I figured next week would be a great time to go ahead and release um, an episode that's that is already done. So I don't have to do the work on it. So just to be honest, that's one of the big reasons. And the other reason is I have so many listener questions that have been coming in, which are great. Keep them coming. I love being able to answer your questions. And, um, we had recording issues a couple of weeks ago, so I didn't get to get all of them, um, out, or, or some of them that had come in earlier. I didn't get to get those out and had planned to. So, um, 
we are going to get the, some of those answered today and then a couple of new ones. <clears throat> so let me get right into it so we don't so I don't keep you guys too long on today. So the first one that I want to address is was uh, came in on Instagram and it is from RR it's R Reeves 81. Again, R Reeves 81. So she knows who she is. And her message says, hi, I'm two months into keto, never had cholesterol issues before, but got labs today and LDL is up to 117. Any experience with this or advice on resources I should look at to stay keto, but lower my my LDL, <clears throat> excuse me, my HDL is good at 53. So, um, okay. So I let her know I would address this in today's episode. And so, first of all, um, kind of address a couple of things. Um, right off the bat, I would like to know what the triglycerides were. Um, that would be super. And she just lets us know that the LDL, she says, is up to 117. What was it prior to, you know, what was her what was her LDL number prior and what was her HDL number prior to keto? I'd love to know that. Um, and I could have asked her that, but... Um, honestly, just not have time to address it. So um, that's okay. But those are two things that would be great to know. Um, in addition, I'm assuming that since, since she's not mentioning it, that they did not actual, actually measure for um, particle size. And most of the time they won't. Um, when you go to your, you get a standard lipid panel, your doctor is just going to measure your LDLC. Um, that is the cheapest and easiest way to do it. And so that's what they'll do unless you request uh, additional information like a LDLP, which is stands for particle size. And so if, um, if you request that, then often they will, they'll do that. Sometimes they'll also do it and they just don't talk to you about it. So, um, so it'd be interesting to know that because that is much more indicative of if you're going, you know, if you're moving in the direction of having any kind of cardiovascular, um, risk, um, in, in your numbers. So, um, so as we all know, LDL is what they call, they refer to as the bad cholesterol and HDL is what is referred to as the good cholesterol. But, um, you know, realistically they're, they're both, there, there are not two types, different types of cholesterol in our body. So I just want to make sure that if you guys are listening to this, you, um, that I kind of get that out there and you guys know that, and you understand that, that there are not two different types of cholesterol. When they are referring to LDL and HTL, I'm sorry, HDL, they are just referring to the lipoproteins. So these are um, these are the high density lipoprotein and the low density lipoprotein or lipoprotein. And these are basically the carriers of cholesterol and both carriers, they do, they do slightly different things. So HDL is the, <clears throat> excuse me, is the carrier that is known as the good cholesterol reading. And that is what collects the leftover cholesterol in your um, blood and it escorts it back to your liver. That's pretty much one of its very its main functions. Now, both LDL and HDL have many functions, but that's kind of its um, main function. <clears throat> so, um, it has a higher proportion of proteins to lipids than any other lipoprotein. So, this is um, has a much it, so it's a much more denser molecule. So that's why they call it the high density lipoprotein or lipoprotein. So, um, she is good at, she said, she says my, uh, levels at 53 are good and that is great. So in general, what normal, um, would be is for a woman, you want to be greater than 50 for your HDL. And for a man, you want to be greater than 40 for your HDL. So then if we look at the LDL, she says it's up to 117. Well, Again, right off the bat, that would not be alarming to me. Your LDL number, um, just in general, they want to see that less than 130. So at 117, that wouldn't be alarming to me, and and I wouldn't think that that's uh, that it, that's an issue, especially um, not knowing whether that is actually a, a marker or how much of that um, is made up of large protein or large particle sizes versus small dense particle sizes. 
Um, because when you have elevated levels of the small LDLP, that is what's associated with insulin resistance, increased um, cardiovascular risk, those types of things. So it's the when we have the large buoyant LDL, those are um, much less likely to cause issues, and so those are really not. Um, so those are really not that much of a concern. Okay, so um, so again, larger particles are okay. Smaller, dense ones for LDL are increased risk. So as far as the ketogenic diet goes with, um, with cholesterol levels, I think it's also important to understand that, first of all, 75% of the cholesterol that is in our bodies, our body makes. Okay, so we only take in about 25% of the cholesterol. And if you're eating a ketogenic diet that is full of good, healthy fats, then I would definitely not be concerned about that. And I would suspect that your levels are moving in a good direction as far as particle size is, um, is concerned. And that's really what we need to be most concerned with or what we need to be um, watching for the most is your particle size. So I, I think that, not I think, but I know that there have been many studies that have been done out there in regards to, and some meta-analysis and regard some large meta-analysis that have been done in regards to the ketogenic diet and cholesterol. And the stu- those studies have shown that you, that not only will your, um, that your numbers, your LDL numbers may increase slightly, but it also is increasing the particle size, which is actually a really good thing. So you may see those numbers increase, but it's important to understand the relationship to the particle size when those numbers increase. So um, anyway, so that, so she might want to look into that and um, kind of make sure that that is, um, you know, that, that the particle sizes are increasing. So I would definitely go back to the doctor and ask for those. Um, I would also be more concerned with what my triglycerides look like. So she didn't mention what her triglycerides were prior and what they are now, but on a ketogenic diet, those pretty much nine times out of 10 are going to start dropping significantly. And that's super important. So your triglycerides need to be under 150. And so, um, Definitely, I would compare that to what your numbers were last time. I'd be much more interested in my triglyceride levels. Um, Another great assessment overall is your um, total to your total number to HDL ratio. So um, Chris Masterdon, PhD, describes doing it as a total to HDL cholesterol ratio of um, between three and four. So to do that, you're going to divide your total cholesterol by your HDL number, your HDLC number. So um, to get that, uh, when you get that, your ratio should be be between three and four, and that is um, good. If If you're in that range, then you're fine. You don't have anything to worry about. You shouldn't you know, need to worry about anything, but, um, I am not a doctor, so I definitely want to say that, you know, this information is information that I have have through, um, through experience, through my training as a nutritional therapy practitioner and through doing research like anyone else would do in regards to this. There are many, uh, people that are much more expert in this, feel or in this um, area than I am for sure. Um, And one of the best resources I could point you to is the book Keto Clarity um, written by Jimmy Moore. So that will give you, tell you a lot of the same things that I'm telling you, but it will give you a much more in-depth reason as to why these are the things that you need to watch for and kind of how you can make sure that you're on the right track. So again, with the ketogenic diet, eating lots of good healthy fats is great. Now, if you're doing a ketogenic diet where you're not concerned about the quality of fats and you're just focused on um, high fat and low carb, so uh, how that might look different is if you are going through the drive-through um, for your meals and you're just telling them to hold the bun and you're getting the burgers um, from there and, you know, whatever else you might be eating that is cooked in bad oil or um, is coming from less than ideal animals where the, um, you know, fats are not good and the, um, you know, we've just got the bad makeup of that meat. Um, Then, you know, I would 
think, well, um, that may not be the most healthful um, diet and specifically maybe not the most healthful ketogenic diet. So um, looking at that type of thing would be important as well. So making sure that you really are eating the good, healthy, saturated fats in your diet. So the coconut oil and um, grass-fed tallow and lard, grass-fed butters, um, those types of things. That's important. Olive oil, avocado oil, that type of stuff. Um, Let's see. Was there anything else I wanted to say on that? I think that's pretty much it. So um, hopefully that can kind of, that will help kind of Uh, point you in the right direction. And again, I would definitely recommend getting um, Jimmy's book and reading that, and then I'll help you understand a little bit more. Okay. Thank you for that question. Okay. And then I've got another one that came in from Victoria. And this again was on Instagram and she says, hi, I'm Victoria. I've been following the ketogenic diet since last November, and I've had great success with PCOS. I love the diet and don't want to change it at all, but as of recent, I've been experiencing symptoms of hair loss. I'm 19 years old, and it is concerning me, but am at a loss of what to do. I keep my protein around 55 to 60 grams per day and just got test results that showed low levels of magnesium, vitamin B6, and vitamin D. Is there anything specific that that could possibly help? So, um, yes, thank you, Victoria, for that question. I really appreciate it. So um, let's see. So where to start? Okay, so let's start with um, the protein intake. So hair loss is quite often, um, well, it's associated with lots of things, okay? And um, PCOS can also come with hair loss. Um, Vitamin deficiencies can uh, cause hair loss. Um, There's lots of things. But one of the things that I definitely see affecting women specifically is um, lower than optimal protein intake uh, creating issues, and that creates hair loss. Um, We need protein to grow hair and to keep hair strong. And so if we are taking, not taking in enough protein, then that can really hurt us. Now, um, I know I have kind of spoken in the past as to um, how much protein you should be taking in. And as a woman and kind of, uh, you know, avoiding gluconeogenesis um, from being an issue for you, especially on the ketogenic diet. And just as a refresher, gluconeogenesis is when you your body cannot store protein. Um, no one's nobody's body can. So, um, whatever you are not able to use. Um, at that time, your body turns to glucose and then that's how it stores uh, any leftover protein. So once your muscle stores, um, you know, your glycogen stores are full, then um, it has to do something with that sugar, right? So, so we don't want that happening. We don't want that to raise our blood sugar. And so, um, you know, people kind of worry about that when you're on a ketogenic diet, because you're doing everything you can to stay low carb and low sugar, and you don't want to raise blood glucose and therefore raise insulin levels. So then if you eat too much protein, you're worried about that. And um, I will tell you that earlier on in my journey, I did worry about that more than I do now. Um, there is some debate as for sure in the ketogenic community as to uh, how much protein is too much protein there, you know, for every study uh, that's cited from somebody about how you just can't eat too much protein, there's going to be a study that someone else can cite cite saying that you absolutely can't eat too much protein and you can wreck everything by doing this. And so it's, you know, I I think the jury is still out and, um, you know, I have not personally done any of those studies and, um, you know, can only go by personal experience, experience with clients and, and, you know, just kind of my own health-based knowledge and nutrition knowledge. So, um, so I'm kind of a, a little bit up in the air on that as well, uh, to be honest. So kind of the general, um, kind of way of thinking, I guess, that seems to be an optimal amount of protein intake is somewhere from a half, um, from, from a half to one 
um, gram of protein for every pound of body weight. So if you were, let's just say a 150 pound person, then you would maybe eat between 75 and 150 grams of protein. Now that's a huge difference, right? I mean, that's a big deal. Um, so Victoria is eating, says that she's eating, um, 55 to 60 or 65, 55 to 60 um, grams of protein per day. I don't know how much Victoria weighs, but I am thinking that that is probably going to be too low. Um, I have in the past recommended not going more than 20 to 25 grams of protein per sitting um, for a woman per meal because that seems to be about the amount that our body can use at any given time. However, um, there are a lot of factors that can affect that. And so I am not 100% sure that 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 is optimal for everyone um, because everybody's bio-individual, right? So those things can all change. And while that may be the right recommendation for many women and maybe the majority of women, there might be women that that is not good for and that has additional healing that needs to be done, maybe, um, <clears throat> or maybe they're more active and so they're needing more protein, or maybe their body just needs it for whatever reason they need more protein. Um, protein is the building blocks of so many things in our body, um, cells and, 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 and also hormones, which are, it's a huge deal, especially for women. And especially with Victoria, who had mentioned that she is doing so much better, um, that her P PCOS is, I don't know if she said it was, uh, cured or, um, she said great success, she says, with PCOS. So um, so she definitely has some, you know, serious hormonal imbalances have been going on. So her body may just need more protein right now for a variety of different reasons. So given the kind of that background, um, Victoria, what I would do if I was you is I would definitely up my protein intake. Um, I would, that would be the very first thing I would do to start trying to see if that helps with the hair loss. Um, and I, I would just, I wouldn't get too, um, concerned about, you know, about worrying about the gluconeogenesis and all that right now. And I don't know if you test, if you do any, um, blood testing, but you could, if you're concerned, if you want to up your protein level and then test after a couple of hours after that meal or an hour after that meal, see if your blood no, test before you start doing that as well. So start test, test on your normal day of eating 55 to, I think you said 60 or 65 grams per day. Um, test, your blood glucose throughout that day and see what your levels are if you if you don't test right now and you're not sure. Then up your protein and I would up it by 10, 20, 30 grams a day and or so maybe 10 grams per meal or a little bit more than that and then test again your blood glucose and see how that looks. So um, that kind of let you know if you're having a, a big sugar impact from doing that, a big glucose impact. So um, that would be a good way for you to kind of start doing that. In addition, um, you had stated that you are um, having issues with magnesium, with B6, and with vitamin D. So um, those are also going to be found in animal products as well as the protein. Um, those are quite often uh, present with protein. So that could also be something that would be helpful for getting some of those levels up. Um, you also, another thing that could be going on as well is that if you... Perhaps you are eating enough protein for your body, but you are not breaking it down well. So I have talked um, extensively in past episodes about digestion and how important our digestion is. So, um, and a couple of things, well, uh, several things, um, but the two things that really jump out to me are the B6 and the magnesium. If you don't have good digestion, you will not have either one of those um, nutrients 
uh, in the proper levels. And if those nutrients are not in the proper levels, you probably will not be able to have good digestion because you need both of those nutrients. So, um, it's kind of a, it's a, you know, like a vicious circle, right? Like it's, which is it the cart or the horse, you know, which is first. So, um, getting your digestion, making sure your digestion's on track is also super, super important. Um, in the meantime, while you're working on that and seeing if your digestion is right, and I would definitely recommend working with someone, um, whether that's a nutritionist, nutritional therapy practitioner, um, a functional medicine doctor, someone that can help you make sure that your nutrition is on point and and can help you to recognize if it is not working properly. And basically, if it's not working properly, it's not that difficult to figure out because you should not have any of the things associated that people think are like normal because just because it's, you know, normal doesn't mean it's optimal. But um, gas, bloating, um, flatulence, burping, um, any type of, um, of, overly full feeling when you eat, um, any kind of transit time issues. So either constipation or diarrhea. Um, if you, you can look at the Bristol stool chart, if you are not, um, having good, um, you know, your poop doesn't look good when you go, uh, then, you know, you look, refer to the Bristol stool chart. You can Google that and pull it up and that can help you. Um, any of those things, if you, um, get indigestion or heartburn, uh, any of that, any of it at any time, then your digestion is not optimal. So there can be many, many reasons for that. Um, a lot of, a lot of us are, have a difficult time getting into a parasympathetic state, when, um, and really anytime, but it's super important that we're in that parasympathetic state when we are eating. So that's our rest and digest. And, um, it's super important for our digestion that we're able to be in that state. So if we are having a difficult time doing that, or we're eating on the run, or we're super stressed out all the time, then that alone can wreck our digestion. Um, and then there are many, many side effects that come along with that, um, and different parts of our digestive tract that are affected. So, um, so working with somebody that can help you understand that and help you either with supplementation um, that may be needed just until you get back on track. You may need help with um, figuring out how to get into that parasympathetic mode before you eat and during when you're eating, um, kind of working on some of those things, some stress mitigation um, and whatnot that can also help. Um, with digestion. So I would definitely work on those things. Um, and then one of the best things that I could suggest to you, and that I pretty much suggest to everyone that I work with, um, is to drink bone broth and to drink it daily. So, um, again, I've talked about that extensively on the podcast and in my social media, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm a huge believer in bone broth. I try to drink one cup of bone broth every day. I think it's really important for every woman. I mean, it's like the best kept beauty secret. Um, you know, it's amazing for our skin, hair, nails, um, but beyond that, it is already pre-digested. So basically, um, so when we are drinking that, it is really easy for our bodies to absorb all of the amazing vitamins and nutrients that are in bone broth. So when we don't have optimal digestion, and most people don't, uh, bone broth is not only is bone broth um, super easy for our bodies to absorb because again, it's already broken down. So if our digestion isn't working well, it doesn't really matter. We can still um, absorb all of that, but it also has healing properties in it so that if we have issues like with leaky gut and things like that, the um, bone broth actually helps to heal that because of the different properties that are in bone broth. So, um, as far as the magnesium goes, there are definitely um, several things that are great on the ketogenic diet that I would recommend for magnesium, almonds, pumpkin seeds, avocado, um, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, all of those are really good and high in magnesium. There are also a lot of um, supplements that are available out there that you could try. Um, 
different, uh, different forms of magnesium can help different people. And I've talked about that as well, um, extensively in a couple of different, um, podcasts that have probably several of the podcasts that I've done on here. So you can kind of go back and re-listen to those, but, um, I will give you a few here, but also magnesium is really important at balancing vitamin D and our blood as well. And that is another thing that she has mentioned, um, that she is, deficient in his vitamin D. So there are so many, um, gosh, there's so much I could say about this, but so PCOS is also associated with, um, insulin issues and, um, you know, metabolic issues. So having, let's see, how do I word this? So magnesium helps us to improve the, our insulin sensitivity, first of all. So that's a super, that's super helpful. So, um, like type two diabetes, uh, typically is associated also with magnesium deficiencies. So it's, so helping to get, so I guess what I'm saying is all of this makes sense to me that she's been dealing with PCOS and she's got the B6, the magnesium, um, and vitamin D. These are all associated, um, with hormones. These are all associated with insulin control. Um, these are all connected together. Um, there's lots of different reasons that all of these things would be together. So I think that first and foremost, just saying that the ketogenic diet is, I think, going to be very helpful for you to continue to stay on and being deficient in any of these things um, definitely is not going to be hurt. It's actually just, you're going to be helped by staying on the ketogenic diet for sure. So um, just kind of want to make sure I get that in there. Um, so yeah, magnesium. So magnesium is very connected to D and vitamin K. So I'm not sure if you got your K levels, but, but if you do not have um, vitamin D levels, if you don't, I mean, I'm sorry, and not vitamin D levels. If you have high vitamin D, if you're taking high vitamin D or you, uh, because you have low vitamin D levels, I'm assuming that maybe your doctor then prescribed you, um, at least this is what mine did when I went in and I was low on vitamin D. She prescribed me a vitamin D supplement to take. It was a very high dose of vitamin D. And so I took that thinking that that was the right thing to do. But we have to keep in mind that all of our vitamins and minerals have a counterbalance to each other, right? Like they're, they all work in conjunction together. So when we have high levels of vitamin D, um, then typically we can become very deficient in vitamin K. When that happens, then that is connected to magnesium stores, um, being lowered because our body just is trying to, again, it's a counterbalance, right? So there, it's trying to take from this area to give back to this area. And then this, sub, this nutrients out of whack. So then it needs to, you know, then it, then it tries to correct it by doing this. And so, so it's, it gets everything kind of all, all wackadoodle. So if you have got low levels of vitamin D and you are taking a vitamin D supplement, then I would definitely recommend also taking a K. So you need a vitamin D and a vitamin K supplement. Often they're housed together. And I would definitely look for a very, um, good bioavailable form of vitamin D and vitamin K. And then um, definitely supplementing with magnesium uh, would be great. Um, pretty much most everyone, and I don't know how deficient you are specifically, but most Americans are magnesium deficient, myself included. And so taking a supplement is really the easiest way that you can get um, magnesium effectively um, because we, most of our food is just low in magnesium. It is naturally present in some foods, but most of the time it's not enough that we're going to get the amount that we need. We're not going to be able to eat enough of those foods to get the amount that we need. So, um, but again, getting a, a supplement that's very bioavailable and that we can, um, you know, get into our bodies is, a, is really big. So, Okay. Um, in general, magnesium that's in a citrate, a chelate, or a chloride formula or, or form is typically better absorbed than like the oxide and the sulfate forms. Um, so, and you can do the oxide and the sulfate forms are okay. Um, like to do as like an Epsom salt bath or something, but not 
as taking internally. Um, you really need to concentrate on the uh, chelate, the citrate, and the chloride forms of those. So you can do a magnesium chelate. So those are super absorbable, and those are what's found in foods naturally. But again, um, and, and interestingly enough, like I said, um, those are bound to amino acids. So those are proteins. So that, um, but again, if your digestion is not great and you're not digesting those proteins, then you're not going to be able to um, get that magnesium from those amino acids. So the next version would be a magnesium citrate. So that is what's combined with a citric acid. So the, the issue with the magnesium citrate that you need to kind of watch for is that those can have a laxative effect if you're, if you're taking it in a very high dose. So that can help with improving your digestion and if you have like constipation or something. So that might be a route you want to go if that is something that you're um, struggling with or, or think maybe that would help. Um, you can do a magnesium glycinate that is also highly absorbable. And um, if you have a magnesium deficiency, um, I usually recommend taking the magnesium glycine. I think that's a really good version of it. And it really, um, almost never does that create this kind of laxative effect in most people. So you're probably pretty safe doing the magnesium glycine. There's also magnesium orotate. So those have, um, those are kind of known as being like heart beneficial. Um, it's the, uh, I always, I said the oro, uh, oro, orotic acid. Um, anyway, that is, um, that's also a good form. It's pretty highly absorbable and that should do you well. Again, don't typically have a, a laxative effect with that. So that should probably be good. Um, okay. So I think that is, I think I covered those forms. I didn't write down very good, um, notes for that for some reason. Okay. So, um, magnesium, those are good. And, um, I think I already, yes, I already went over the different foods that you can get those, those in, which interestingly enough, a lot of those same foods are going to be good for vitamin D and also good for vitamin six. So, um, with vitamin D, of course, uh, getting out in the sun is going to be your very best way to make vitamin D. Um, that is the best way for your body to get it. Um, trying to get out in the sun 20 to 30 minutes a day, exposing as much of your skin as possible is going to be the, the most optimal for you. So if you can do that, that's great because then you don't have to worry about, am I supplementing enough vitamin K with my vitamin D and like all this kind of stuff because supplementing with vitamin D can be a little bit tricky because it can throw things off. Um, foods that you can find vitamin D in are like salmon, oysters, pork, beef liver, eggs, um, raw full fat dairy, and then, um, like mushrooms, like shiitake mushrooms are high in vitamin D, that type of thing. So, um, those are really great ways to get D and then vitamin uh, B6. Um, let me look at my notes on vitamin B6. So, um, again, avocados for vitamin B6, um, turkey, chicken, uh, pistachio, grass-fed beef, again, so um, you'll get high levels of B6 pretty much through those things as far as being healthy ketogenic foods that you can do. So um, vitamin B6, B6 deficiencies um, causes all kinds of issues that are hormonal related, which again, with the PCOS kind of goes hand in hand, um, they including like PMS symptoms and things like that. So again, with the PCOS, I'm not sure if you actually, PCOS is such a broad term now and is uh, so many doctors use that when there's not actually cysts present, um, and it's more of like they just a collection of of really, really, really um, severe PMS symptoms. You can now have a diagnosis of PCOS. So um, I'm not sure if those were some of the things that are going on, but um, I would suspect that B6 deficiency, if you are very low in B6, um, those are going to improve a lot when you get your B6 up there because 
some of the biggest issues that you notice with B6 deficiencies are the PMS symptoms and things like that. You'll also notice um, irritability and mood swings. You know, you can have depression, anxiety, that kind of thing. Migraine headaches. A lot of women that have um, B6, B6 deficiencies will get migraine headaches, really severe cramping, um, muscle pain, that type of thing, back pain. Um, so those can all be associated with PCOS and it can really, you can just have, not just, I don't mean to say it like that, but you can have a, a, a B6 deficiency that, um, that can be causing those things to be happening. So um, you can take a B-complex vitamin to help you with that, to help kind of get that B6 up there right away so that you, um, you know, don't have to kind of keep dealing with this, but keep in mind, so B6 is a water-soluble vitamin, and what that means is when you have a water, any water-soluble vitamin, you can't store any leftover of that vitamin. So B6, for instance, if you take B6, um, you have to take it every day, and you have, when you're trying to get foods with B6, you have to eat those foods every day because you don't store it. So, um, you're, you know, you have daily requirements of B6. And so you will essentially urinate out any B6 that your body doesn't use for that day. So it's also um, good to know that when you're testing that, that, you know, are you really chronically B6 deficient or were you just B6 deficient then? Or, you know, so I would look at that as well, but making sure that you're taking a very good um, supplement. If you are taking a supplement, making sure that you're, and I take a complex, um, a B complex supplement every day. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea for any woman. And um, I have noticed significant improvements um, for myself and my health, my mental um, well-being, my, um, you know, PMS symptoms, everything with taking a vitamin B6 supplement. So um, if you um, do that, definitely take something that's, again, very bioavailable, uh, very high quality supplement. Um, I use biotics research uh, supplements with my clients. Typically, there are a handful of really good supplement companies out there that, um, that I would recommend that you could look into. So, um, Apex designs for health, um, biotics, um, there's, there's a several good ones, but again, working with a practitioner that can help you get those good quality supplements is probably, um, a really good idea. And yes, we mentioned the food sources. So, okay. So hopefully that helps you Victoria. And, um, I hope that kind of helps you get those levels up there and, um, focus on that. And again, first step, maybe the easiest thing you can do, um, cheapest thing you could do is start making that bone broth. So real quick, I'll run through my bone broth recipe for you. And I will put this in the show notes. Um, I don't know if it'll be exactly as I say it, because I, I just, I just do it however I do it um, when I make it. But typically I will use two chicken carcasses. So that can be a chicken that I roasted in the oven and then I save all the bones um, after, you know, we have eaten it. Or it can be if I get like a rotisserie chicken from the grocery store, then um, when we strip all the meat off of that, I will save those carcasses. So I put them into a Ziploc freezer bag and I, I keep chicken carcasses in Ziploc freezer bags in my freezer. Um, in addition, I like to get chicken feet, which you can get from your local butcher. Um, if you have a farmer near you that, that, um, sells chicken, you can ask them to save the chicken feet for you. And that's really the best way to do it. Um, you can also get them at many different grocery stores. We'll sell them or they will, um, hold them back for you if you ask for them. So I like to put uh, two to four chicken feet in every batch of bone broth that I make and that gives it, um, is a lot of collagen in there and that gives it a very gelatinous, um, just really, really good, uh, lots of gelatin, lots of collagen. It's there. It's great for you. So I always put the chicken feet in. So basically I throw those, you can do it. My favorite way to do it is in the instant pot, but you can also do it in a crock pot, but whichever you choose, you put the bones in and then you, um, 
add uh, onion. I usually chop an onion up, like a yellow onion or a white onion. <clears throat> I will chop that up and throw that in. I usually chop up a few carrots, some celery, put all of that in. I like to add garlic to mine. Um, salt and pepper, and then always use some kind of an acid. So I like to use apple cider vinegar, and I use the um, Bragg's with the mother. Um, shake that up real good. <clears throat> I don't measure it, but I'll just put a, a good size splash in there. And the reason you want to do that is that really helps to break down the marrow in the bones and helps you to really get all of those nutrients out of the bones. So um, it's a really good way to help to get all of that out. So I will put all that in, Put fill up the uh, crock pot or the instant pot with water till it covers over the bones. Um, so as, as high up to the top as you, as you can, I mean, the more you fill it, the more you're going to get. And then, um, I don't think I left anything out. That's pretty much it. And you can add other things. If you want to add other veggies, you can, or you can add, um, you can add, some people like to put lemongrass in there. You can add all kinds of different herbs. So kind of experiment with it and see what you like. It's, it's fun to kind of play around with it. If you grow your own herbs, you know, you can throw some different herbs in there and uh, flavor it. So that can be fun to kind of play with. And then um, if I do it in the crock pot, I usually will cook it a minimum of 24 hours, but I usually like to cook it a little bit closer to 36 to 48 in the crock pot. And if I do it in the instant pot, I usually, I think I will do that, um, about four to six hours. So it goes much faster and you'll get a much more gelatinous. Um, uh, so basically you're just getting more of the collagen out of the bones when you do it in the instant pot. Um, and when I say gelatinous, just when, you know, gelatin will, um, become gelatinous when it is cold, but when you heat the bone broth, of course it's liquid, like it would be, um, no matter which way you make it. But, um, the more gelatinous your bone broth is when it's cold, then the more, um, collagen and gelatin, you know, have, are, are in that product. And you really want that collagen. Um, it's just super good for so many things in our bodies. So, that's why I like to use the Instant Pot. It has that um, very high pressure cooking, and it really pulls all of that out of the um, bones. <clears throat> okay, so hopefully that helps you on that. You can get started on that right away, and um, I think you will notice a big difference. So um, let me know how it goes, Victoria. <clears throat> I would love for you to contact me back and just tell me how that advice went for you and if you tried it. I love hearing back from people on that. And then the last um, one I want to read is, I just want to read a message, another message that I got on Instagram, and this is from Holly410. She says, hi, Jessica. I recently found you through Jimmy Moore's podcast, Fasting Talk. I can't tell you how excited I am to see someone in the Cincinnati area doing their best to get the word out about keto fasting. All the doctors I see around here just look at me like I have six eyeballs when I say keto, but they tell me to cut the carbs. <laughs> Insert eye roll. LOL. I just wanted to say thank you for your work, and I'm so glad I found your page and a fellow Cincinnatian. So thank you, Holly, for that message. I appreciate that and appreciate you reaching out. So guys, um, that's the only or that's pretty much all I have for today for this episode. I hope that that was helpful to some of you out there. And um, Holly, thank you for sending that message in. And for any of you out there that have um, anything like that that you want to send me, I love it. I love, actually, there's one more I want to read. I just got this one in this morning. And it is from, it was on my website, actually. And this one came in from Becky and Becky says, keeping it real. Hi, Jessica. I just found your podcast on Stitcher and listened to episode 39. I just want to say thank you for keeping it real. I feel it is extremely helpful listening to your struggles. Thank you for sharing your real life and feelings, Becky. Um, so thank you, Becky. So guys, if you want to reach out to me um, either with a question or a comment, I love getting those. Um, I think it's great. And I love to hear from you guys and know that you guys are listening and that this is helping you in any way. If there's specific things that you want to hear about, um, please send me a note and let me know. Um, I do get a lot of notes from you all that say things like you like to hear about what's going on in my life and, um, all those types of things. And I really do appreciate those. And so, um, as long as you guys still want to hear that stuff, I will keep you up to date with that. And again, you can follow my new Instagram page, 
Um, I still have that keto blonde is still out there and active, but I also have added Branch Hill Farm and that again will be more on a personal level and more of like the stuff going on at our farm and whatnot. So if you'd like to follow that page, you can kind of get a little bit more of the personal stuff. And again, I am on Facebook. You can follow me at uh, facebook.com forward slash Jessica Ty Nutrition. And if you would like to send me an email directly, you can do so at jessica at jessicatai.com. All right, guys, I think that's all we have for today. And um, this past week, I did give away a Keto Mojo um, meter, which I think I talked about in last week's episode and got that live. So we did get a winner on that, and that is being mailed out today to her. And um, so just keep an eye on Instagram, guys. I like to do those giveaways. And when companies like Keto Mojo contact me and ask if I will do giveaways, if I use and like the product, then I am happy to do that and be able to put that out there for you guys. So um, keep your eyes peeled for that. And then next week, I will have a great interview for you guys uh, from uh, another uh, keto girl out there that is uh, doing some awesome things in the health and wellness space. And I guess that's all I have. So stay tuned on Branch Hill Farm on Instagram. I'm going to get a I'm going to get a uh, Facebook page up there too for um, information on our little animals and an update on Miss Daisy May who comes home in the morning. All right guys, thanks. Have an awesome week and I look forward to talking to you guys next week. Until then, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode. 